Aubrey, we appreciate your lead. She is wounded and she still led with a... <laughs> Last week I had you hold up that hand. I won't do that again. But she, her, her bandage matches her outfit, so that's all I can say. <laughs> Exodus chapter 16, we'll go through verses 1 through 30. We'll be talking about manna. Uh, God's provision, God's bread from heaven. Israel has been out of Egypt 45 days. They're developing a trait, a method of behavior, and it's not a good one. We see Israel, they're murmuring and they're complaining about God's provision for them. And they're quick to forget. They're forgetting about God's great deliverance only 45 days prior from slavery to freedom. They've forgotten that Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had commanded, cast your boy babies into the Nile River where the crocodiles would eat them. They have forgotten the ten plagues that God brought on Egypt but spared them. They've forgotten that they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Also, that same sea drowned the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. They've forgotten these things. They traveled to Mara, and the waters were bitter there. And God made the water sweet and drinkable there at Marah. Israel is developing what we call selective memory. It has only been a month and a half since they left Egypt. And already they have seen miracles of deliverance. Yet what do they remember? We cannot appreciate God's goodness if our memory of the past is, is selective and we don't remember the full picture. God saves sinners, and we're all grateful for that. God saves people like you and I that need a Savior. Israel has already forgotten that they cried out to God for deliverance from bondage and that God through many miracles has delivered them and brought them to where they are. God performing many miracles on their behalf but somehow they don't remember that. God has heard the cries of Israel But, again, their memory is short. And it's not good what they do remember. It's a sad day. It's a sad thing when people of God forget his goodness and kindness. And when we gripe and complain, when we murmur, all we're doing is demonstrating an unthankful ungrateful heart. As parents, as grandparents, 
just had uh, one of my grandsons had a birthday party yesterday that Lori felt that she had to be at, so she's not here. She's in California. She's actually flying home today. <laughs> but we love to give gifts as parents and as grandparents to our grandkids and to our children. But you know, if you're anything like me, you notice when that child is not grateful. You ever have a grandchild that just looked at your kids and eh, big deal. <laughs> that child acts as if the gift is no big deal and it hurts your feelings. We may not show it, but it does. And when our feelings are hurt by an ungrateful child or grandchild on a gift, we begin to feel, we begin to experience how God felt towards Israel with their ungrateful hearts. The heart of God, the very heart of God is saddened when his people are not grateful. When my older brother and I were children, young children, my brother would complain about any chore that we were given to do. And my mom usually give give us chores to do around the house. My mom believed idle hands were the devil's workshop. And so <laughs> we were given a lot of chores. But my mom would give us something to do. But it was me that had to then go with my brother and listen to him complain until that chore was done. Murmuring followed my older brother way too far into his life. Well, that did have an effect on my mom because my brother would complain and the results was I was given more chores to do around the house, around the little farm, because he complained so much. But my brother never realized how offensive his complaining and murmuring were. Murmuring and complaining can and does cause depression. It can bring about a negative attitude towards life. And it's difficult to be around a person who constantly complains. They usually end up with just very few friends or relatives that will even associate with them. So if you want to be lonely and sad, develop a complaining attitude. And people will leave you alone. <laughs> so with that encouraging word, let's jump into Exodus 16, 1 through 7. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of, of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, and I'm tempted here to do a squeaky voice or something, but I won't. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, 
For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day when they shall prepare what they bring in. It shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? The people of Israel do not have the courage to openly murmur and complain against God, or so they think. Verse 2 tells us they murmur against Moses and Aaron. But in verse 7, we read where God says, And God hears your murmuring against the Lord. I like that second part of verse 7 where Moses and Aaron say, Why are you murmuring, complaining about us? Hey, people, we're just following the cloud and the pillar of fire that God has put there. Your complaint is against God, not us, is what Moses and Aaron are saying. Which brings up a question. Have you ever had to take the blame for another person's mistake because maybe you're a team leader or perhaps you're the foreman, the lead man? Or have you ever had a customer complain that was really done no wrong? God has been nothing but good to Israel, yet they complain against Moses and Aaron. But God understands who they're really complaining and murmuring against, and it's against him. Israel, at this time, they're complaining about their food supply. You know, in Egypt, we had the flesh pots and all this kind of thing. And God, full of mercy and grace, brings glory to himself for the provisions he's going to bring to Israel. And he's doing this while the murmuring is still on their lips. That is grace, my friend. But let's read 8 through 18. And Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. God does something different in this cloud that gets their attention. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small, small round substance as fine as frost as on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was, since Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so, and he gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to, to each one's need. God gives meat that evening, and by morning he gives them bread. The meat, it comes in the form of quail. If you've ever eaten quail, they're quite tasty. But quail come flying into the camp, and the sheer number of quail is staggering. It takes several quail to satisfy anybody's hunger. There are at least two million Israelites out there in this desert. The number of quail that fly into camp had to be a minimum of five million quail. That's a large cubby. I don't care what kind of hunter you are. That's a bunch of quail. They're tasty, but they're small. And usually all you eat is the breast of a quail because the legs are <laughs> they're so small they're not worth bothering. But then we have the miracle of manna, or as the Israelites called it, what is it? That's all manna means. Manna, it has a sweet taste, but manna, the manna seed, is about the size of a sesame seed, quite small. And the manna falls on the ground early morning each and every day for 40 years. Each morning there would be roughly 10 million pints of manna laying on the ground. That's a lot of manna. That equals about 10,000 tons of manna daily given by the Lord. That's a lot of poundage. <laughs> now, this miracle, it continues for 40 years. Six days a week, but on that sixth day, there would be a double portion there before the Sabbath. <clears throat> now, the first morning that that manna fell, you would probably gather manna off of your tent, maybe off of anything that was had a flat surface. But that second day when manna fell, you would have sheepskin, you would have blankets, you would have something laying out where you could gather the manna. And that made gathering, of course, a lot easier. But the, the manna, the seed was very small, like I said, the 
size of a sesame seed. But let's look at verses 19 through 30. And Moses said, let no one leave it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. <laughs> and Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath. Rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all the remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. <laughs> that, that would help. <laughs> then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Moses, he instructs the people, do not gather more than one day's supply. That's like a sign that says, do not walk on the grass. What do you do? You walk on the grass. But of course, some of them go out to gather and it spoils quickly. It breeds worms and it stank. That means smell bad. But on Friday, the day before Sabbath, they gathered double to bake, to boil, to do whatever they would, and they do it for a two-day supply. It's interesting here that God is installing his law and his commandments into Israel's everyday life before the commandments are given. Back to the manna. In all honesty, I probably would have been one of those people who gathered more than one day's supply. It's, that's my nature. <laughs> I try to guard against, in my everyday life, of getting ahead of God. God will show me this much, and I will take that much. I always go that extra. I like my ducks in a row. I heard one guy say he likes his butterflies to fly in formation. I knew what he meant. But being overly concerned about tomorrow's provision, I can fail to enjoy God's blessings today. 
Some would classify me as a worrier. I am not a worrier. Worry is a sin. I get overly concerned. <laughs> Worry really is nothing more than a lack of faith in God and His providing. So having said that, now I'm going to step on your toes. I've made a little confession here. Worry, it can rob us, it does rob us of God's blessing for today. It's been said that eight out of ten things that we worry about never come about anyway. Eight out of ten. That's 80% of the things that you're overly concerned about never happen. We cannot, some of us, enjoy God's goodness and his blessings because we're too concerned about tomorrow. How about our stock portfolios, if you have one? <laughs> How about your 401k plans, your retirement plans? They can consume you if you allow them. We can find ourselves working feverishly to accumulate wealth. And we can say things like, well, we're doing this for the kids. I want to give my kids things that I never had. Or we're preparing for those golden years, whatever. We would do well to look at God's principle concerning manna. The manna is to be gathered each and every day. The disciples asked the Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer, but really it should be called the Disciples' Prayer. And in that prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. If Israel gathered more than they needed, or if they gathered on Monday enough to keep them till Friday, the manna rotted and bread worms. And then it says, and it stank. <laughs> I don't like eating things that have a bad odor to them. <laughs> All the manna left out in the sun would melt away uh, when, when the day grew hot. God was faithful to give this manna 40 years. Each and every day. Manna would fall from heaven. That's 14,500 days of provision with no interruption from God. Do you think they grew to depend on that? I'm sure they did. 40 years of supply that Israel could count on. God was totally faithful on this. There was no concern of feeding your family for 40 years. That would surely cause people not to hoard, not to overgather, but they tried to. 
But here's the point. Here's the, here's the gist of this whole thing. The same God that provided for Israel 40 years out in the desert provides for you and I. Same God. David said, I am young. I was young. Now I'm old. Yet have I seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God promises to take care of us. The whole manna thing is a demonstration of God taking care of a rebellious people out in the wilderness. The same God that provided for Israel also provides for you and I. So enjoy life. Enjoy God's provision today. A while back, I heard a man here in our fellowship describing his finances since he had really started serving the Lord with his life. He declared, since I have really started serving God with my life, my wealth has increased several times over. That's our Lord. He honors our giving to him. He honors our heart being towards him. God was faithful to provide for Israel a people who were rebellious and selfish by nature. That should be a lesson for us. God will take care of you and I. He will do it. He's faithful. Even when Israel disobeyed God about gathering the manna, the extra manna stank and bred worms, God still provided the following morning. You would think, all right, I've offended God. I gathered extra. It rotted. I'm sure there won't be anything out there in the morning when I go up. But God was faithful. There it was again the next day. God shows himself time and again that he is a very gracious God. This is when you're glad I'm not God, especially if you're an Israelite. I would have wanted to teach Israel a lesson. I would have. And Moses, well, he's a lot like us too, a lot like me, because he was angry at Israel. He's angry at their disobedience. And it almost bothers Moses that God continues to be gracious. Verse 28, God does ask Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments? In other words, Moses, the people you're overseeing, they're not being obedient to me. Teach them to do good, Moses. God has blessed us, his people, with many blessings. We are more than wealthy in the United States compared to the rest of the world. And it's a very foolish Christian who does not realize God controls all of our assets. All the monies that pass through our hands are a gift from God. As a believer, wanting to please my God, I want to be a giver. 
I want to have that characteristic of God in my life that I am a cheerful giver. God has provided a way for us to be a cheerful giver. He allows us, his church, his people, his saints, to support his church. That is a blessing, by the way. And how do we support his church? Through tithes and offerings and gifts. But God has one requirement on our tithes and offerings. He says, be a cheerful giver. Or don't do it. If you can't give cheerfully, do not do it. I was at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, what they call Big Calvary. And I heard Chuck Smith say after a sermon one time, If you're here and you have given the offering today and you are not a believer, come see me because we want to give your money back to you. Because giving is for believers, not unbelievers. And I've never heard anybody else say that. That impressed me. We are to be, as Christians, a cheerful giver. We want to please our God with our life. And our giving is to be done daily, just like the manna was given daily. If we are faithful with today's manna, God will be faithful with tomorrow's. Even if we're not faithful, God is still faithful. That's a win-win situation. But the, the thing that struck me about this whole manna thing outside it just being an unusual miracle, is God did not allow striving within the camp of Israel. You can only gather one day's supply. That's it. But he did require that you go out each and every morning and gather that day's supply. So he didn't take away all responsibility. He just said, don't be greedy. <laughs> There's a big lesson there. Enjoy what I'm giving to you, Israel. I will do it. You can count on it for 40 years. I will do it. God is installing into Israel a trust and a faith that needs to be in every believer's life. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, I don't want to ever be a grudging giver. You give so freely. You are so gracious, Lord. We look at Israel. We see how they complained and murmured against you, and yet you provided for them. Each and every day you provided. Lord, may we be gracious in the way we give. We want to be pleasing to you with our tithes, our gifts, and our offerings. And Lord, we want to be thankful that we're able to give, to be that cheerful giver like you require. So help us, Lord. 
you know I'm not doing this to try to raise money or anything else, but we are to be cheerful givers. You have given us so much, and we want to be pleasing to you in the way we give in return. So help us to be thankful, help us to be diligent, help us to enjoy our blessings of today. And just so glad that you take care of tomorrow. So thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And we pray and ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So.